This is SciBite, episode 55, for July 24th, 2012. everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live every Tuesday evening over at jblive.tv and released for downloads every Wednesday morning at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us, like every single week, is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. What are we talking about this week? Today, we're going to take a look at digital vision, allergy treatments, storms, braziers, fire extinguishers, Alzheimer's research, spacecraft updates, remembering Sally Ride, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Wow, braziers and storms, I better not delay us anymore. Let's get to the news. (laughs) Okay, Heather, what is the first news story today? All right, vision aids. Um, So, stepping back. Just a moment, we're going to look at the eye. So it has the retina, you know, mm-hmm. that has photoreceptors that takes the light coming into your eye and transmits it into, translate it into electrical signals, which are then sent along the, the neural pathways, you know, uh, to your brain. But when those photoreceptors or when the, um, in the retina are not able to translate those signals anymore, then there is a loss of vision. There's a muscular... Uh, degeneration. I know I'm saying that wrong, but it's when you know the retina starts not being able to translate those correctly. Now all the the nerves are just fine. It's just that nothing is able to uh, translate. So like, so so like if it was so in like computer terms, uh, all mm-hmm. the wiring's good. It's just that the camera sensor is damaged or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what is so they've so what now is a company has made a nano retina. What it is is a tiny implant it's uh 0.1 by 0.2 inches you know it's really small wow we're talking yeah microscaler yeah but they insert it into the eye and attach it to the back of in onto your retina whoa yeah it sounds really really creepy but it's minimally invasive it can be done in 30 minutes or less wow so it's like local anesthesia it's just you know it's no more scary than a cataract surgery. I mean, anything to your eyes is kind of scary, but it's no more, you know, complicated like than a, that. Like an imaging sensor that they can install on top of your retina? Yes, literally. It's, ooh. you know, well. That's, I mean, ooh as in, that's gross because I'm looking at a video and they're inserting it into somebody's eye, but that's ooh as yeah. in, that's incredible. Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, it goes into the back of your eye, onto the retina, and it just has little... Uh, you know, stems that, you know, presses down into the retina. So they're able to then, you know, the nerves are able to connect with that and it's able to sort of bypass the retina. So they kind of, the nerves take root with this implant. Mm -hmm. So it's able to translate it. And so it's not doing anything to change the mechanism of the eye. (laughs) The light still works like a normal, you know, a normal eye works. It's just sort of making a bridge. You know, making a bridge to kind of pass it through. It's amazing that some sort of conventional technology can actually communicate it and, and transmit with our biological technology. Well, of course, it won't work right at first. 
Um, there have already been oh, okay. at least one test subject to have had this. And essentially, right at first, you know, the first day, it's, you know, going from nothing to, hey, there's black and white. Oh, hey, there's something. Oh, now I can see sort of outlines of stuff. So, I mean, it takes a little bit of time for your for brain to kind adapts. of... adapts. Okay. Yeah, so your brain has to readapt to figure out these new signals coming in. That's that's really pretty incredible, though. This is uh, like uh, the visor only way more discreet. Now, you, there must be like some pretty hefty pre-requirements. Like you must have to have a certain type of blindness, right? It, it, it's got to be... Yeah, it's very specific. Like you, have to have only... the, you have to have the nerves fully developed. Yeah, the nerves have to be completely fine. It's literally only, there's only a handful of uh, diseases, but it's, uh, you know, that this, that where the retina is not able to translate anymore. Mostly it's, um, I'm trying to remember the exact name, muscular degeneration. It's where, you know, suddenly the center of your vision starts going away. And then it just kind of billows out from there. Generally, people just lose that kind of center. Like your whole, like, you know, you're looking at something and the outside of your computer has been able to see, but not your screen at all. Do you think, is this, is this because it's just a straight pass-through, it's mm-hmm. not really doing much more than just a bridge of the light? Is it not? Do you think it's not very likely that this is like this is this is probably very out there? <clears throat> but I saw it mentioned in the chat room, so I'm going to bring it up. Okay. If uh, the current stage just is a pass through, but what mm-hmm. if they could build one layer on top of that where they could actually superimpose an image? So it would be sort of like the light shines through and shines mm-hmm. through this image, and then the nerve would transfer that data back. So it would almost be like if you could have a heads up display on one of these things. Like way, way, way down the road. I know that's totally well, crazy out there, but it could yeah. be an interesting, like, we. this is how we originally developed the technology is to help with this kind of, you know, life, mm-hmm. life altering issue that people have and trying to yeah. give them some sort of semblance of vision back. And then it mm-hmm. could always progress from that point to something much more mainstream, like Google Glass is built in, as Dreams Void puts it. Sounds creepy, but a lot of technologies <laughs> um, do go there. You know, it starts off for one thing and then it translates into... You know, it branches off to a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, totally. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, we've, we've talked about exoskeletons, too, to kind of mm-hmm. help uh, people who are paraplegic, but they also have military applications so that soldiers can h- carry more equipment on the battlefield. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it is like one of those things. This is only, you know, this is the whole point is being able to, you know, it's able to collect the light. You know, it's just little implants that are able to take it and you know, bring it there. Right. And they have, the specific company has, you know, specific algorithms that can do a hundred great, uh, you know, a hundred levels of grayscale. It's not color, but it allows you to translate, you know, a grayscale image. And the theory is that you could have it so that every pixel, you know, every little bit could connect straightly to a neuron. And so they can actually get these, you know, more and more uh, detailed, you know, as you increase the, you know, the pixels, how many pixels you can implant on there. So it's able to to do that. And it's kind of looking at some of these things where they're like, hey, this is an image and it gets better and it's better. It's like, you know, better resolution on your computer screen. Mm-hmm. It's like if they're able to hit that up a couple notches, then it gets better and better yeah. resolution. Yeah. You know, for, for some of these diseases, you only lose part of the vision. Right. But there is a rare case that you lose complete vision. And so, in either way, you know, whether you have only outlines of things you can see or sort of a rough grayscale, 
then any of those things is a mass improvement on massive, massive, you know, quality of life and being able to do things. In fact, um, there's other things like this. Um, uh, another company, uh, Second Sight, okay. has uh, retinal prostheses also. Okay. And so through these various things, now that one has like a little antenna and it has electrical case, you know, so all these kind of things. But in either case, it's um, a couple of the people were able to say that large print held up close. They're actually able to read again. Jeez. Now, one thing uh, with this, um, you know, with this nano retina is that, you know, it has to be powered. But they've got it down so that it only needs, you know, a tiny bit. It only needs like a microwatt. So what they do is they have, you know, a set of glasses. And then they have in, built into that glasses a little infrared light that can shine into the eye. So it's not going to be damaged. Hmm. But, it, but it, it supplies the energy to the chip. Oh, so they do have to wear it with a pair of glasses then? Yeah. So you have a pair of glasses that you put on and it powers your eyeball. Yeah. Okay. So it's, you're not going to look any different from, you know, me who has, you know, vision, but all blurry vision. But, so you know, then this, you, is an actual, this is actually a powered device. Okay. So it yeah. is doing some sort of active management of the signal. Yeah, it has. So wow. it, it is actually doing that. There is, you know, algorithms input into it. They've, you know, they have a proprietary and they're hoping to kind of get that up, you know, as they increase that, they increase the size of the chip and all these type of things so that, you know, the glasses can already in, uh, provide up to, you know, three milliwatts. So they're already above hmm. what it's required. So they have a little bit of wiggle room there. Hmm. But it's, you know, completely remote control. You just put on a pair of glasses and it, you know, has a little light that goes bing, right Take into your eye and powers off, it. And it turns it off. No, and then you start powering down, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that'd be... When, mean, you, when you're asleep... You, that you, seems you reasonable. Usually, yeah, when you're asleep, you generally don't have to look out of your yeah. eyes. Interesting. Most of the time. Interesting that that was the very interesting solution to how they powered it. Uh, yeah. I didn't even realize. I kind of just thought maybe because it was just doing some sort of pass-through, it just didn't need it. But it, that makes sense. Yeah, wow. but I mean, there's, there's a little really bit This is really a piece of there. electronics. This is truly a, yeah, a the, little processor. Yeah, I mean, each little bit of this was kind of amazing to me that they were able to kind of very simple treatment, you know, put this kind of on the back of the eye and then power it through, you know, remote control through through glasses. It's it's really exciting in the fact that they've already had a few people that have had this done mm -hmm. and now they're moving on to larger trials. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, you're able to increase this and it can show, um, they think, you know, accepted recovery times are weak. Okay. That's, so that's, that'd be worth it, wouldn't it? Yeah. So they'll be able to distinguish faces, look side to side. Wow. You know, you don't have to, you know, you have to turn your head all the way to the side and able to see what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. But you can, I mean, they can already, you know, certain people can already see, you know, shapes and trap objects. So all these type of things are kind of coming together. But this, this um, nano retina really intrigued me because if it's, you know, you know, it's ease of putting it on, it's, you know, remote control, it's tiny. It, it really innovative in the way that it kind of put together that yeah. I that I saw it as and so many uh, incredible breakthroughs that it can stand on. I mean, like the medical yeah. the medical abilities to do that kind of precision surgery, mm -hmm. the uh, the nanotechnology to get something that's actually this capable that small. Yeah, it's a lot of science that this is being built on top of. Yeah, and it's I also find it interesting that it doesn't require you know any major changes to the eye itself. It's using 
you know, the eye as it is and as it's built. It's just a tiny little blip on the back of your retina. And it's even more incredible that it's able to communicate, I think, with our nerves. And it's able to use our own body's communication system. Yeah. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy, Heather. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> well, any other thoughts on that one? No, I'm just looking forward to uh, how, how this works out. Yeah, see where it goes. Yeah. Well, boom, boom. Let's take a pause right here because I have a very important message that I want to get out there. So a lot of folks know that if you go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, I mention the affiliate pages a lot uh, because it's how we actually pay the bills here at Jupiter Broadcasting. And what's awesome about it is it lets our own audience contribute directly to us. We don't have to worry about advertisers and things like that. We keep everything, all the advertising to a minimum. However... And I was hoping this wouldn't be an issue, but now I'm almost like I had, I'm having deja vu. Like I think I predicted this would happen. A lot of you out there very, very, very appreciatively installed our Chrome extension. I'm very appreciative that you did that because when you visit things like our affiliates, it'll automatically mm-hmm. tag those sessions uh, f- to contribute your shopping session to Jupiter Broadcasting. And that has been a huge, huge help to us. However, now here's the downside. A lot of browsers, a.k.a. Chrome and Firefox, a.k.a. the ones we have extensions for, how do frequent updates. I think Internet Explorer is like the only one and Safari are like the only ones that don't do frequent updates. And we don't even have plugins for those ones. And one of the things Chrome does now, and you know Chrome does update in the background silently, is it's automatically disabling extensions that don't come from the Chrome Web App Store. Now we're oh. working on getting our extension in there, but that means the Jupyter Broadcasting affiliate extension is getting disabled on Lots of systems out there, and our affiliate revenue has dropped off the cliff. In fact, Ooh. it's really dropped off the cliff that we're going to have a serious problem if if this next month turns out like this. So if you would do me a favor, go into your Chrome settings, check your extension settings, find the Jupyter Broadcasting affiliate uh, redirect extension in there, and make sure that enabled checkbox is on. And we'll have updates in the uh, in the future from the actual Chrome extension store to sort of you know avoid this issue. But until we get in there and get approved... Please go check that and help us out. And something to keep in mind when you are shopping over at Amazon.com is that new Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 on Blu-ray. Still going for the $60 sale price, so it's normally $70. Amazon has it for $60. So that's, I think, you know, that's, heck, that's a pretty good deal. Um, I think Best Buy has it for $130. So... You know, I mean, geez, that's a pretty good savings if you get it from Amazon for 60 bucks. I can vouch for this one, folks. This looks incredible. I I mean, the colors just pop. They are so amazing. And what really what really looks good is is the special effects. They're not overdone. They didn't go Lucas on them. They're just they're just right. So uh, and that's a great way if you buy that either using uh, a browser with our extension or by clicking on the uh, Amazon US link down below at uh, JupiterBroadcasting.com before you buy that Star Trek uh, box set for yourself portion of your shopping shopping session we be contributed to jupiter broadcasting and thank you to everyone who does that uh that that keeps us independent and that keeps me on the air and keeps us going but i really need everyone to please go check their extensions because boy that was some depressing news heather but oh yeah enough with that let's do the news bite news bite <laughs> yeah, I see. I even have a news bite top hat that I flip up in the air. I mean, oh, okay. I, I kind of pictured that. Okay, good, good. I was going to say, theater of the mind. All right, well, what is our story in the news bite? Possible allergy treatments. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay, tell me about this. So there are, you know, allergies to eggs. And so, you know, you can, you know, with these, but exposure to increasing amount of eggs every day over the course of two years in one study seem to rid some children of that egg allergy. Oh. So it's, 
I mean, more than, first of all, more than curing it, it's more than like more providing protection against an accidental reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the test, what they did was they took a, uh, you know, a skin prick test, medical history, you know, all these type of things to detect the antibodies of this egg program, egg protein, which gave them 55 kids ages from 5 to 11 that had an egg allergy. And so then they had everybody have um, some unmarked powder added to their food daily. You know, and then, of course, you know, 40 were randomly assigned time the egg, 15 got cornstarch, you know, and, you know, so it started off with a few grains of powdered egg. And, you know, over the course of two years, they got up to a third of an egg. So they're increasing this microscopically slowly. What was interesting is after 22 months, 30 of those 40 kids that were able to Mm -hmm. uh, get, continue the treatment were able to just, you know, consume a little bit of egg without having any reaction. Okay. Okay. Of course, you know, through the course of a study, you have some that have to drop out because, you know, they do have an allergic reaction and, you know, it's not going to go. But what this, they were able to prove is sort of this gradual, very minute increase was able to sort of train the immune system. To build a tolerance. To build up a tolerance. And, you know, some of them after, you know, they stopped the test, um, a couple of them even four to six weeks afterward, didn't get a reaction. Um, a year later, a handful of the kids could eat eggs, oh, you know, wow. just regularly. Now, for the most part, this is sort of a, a daily treatment type thing where you, you take a little bit of this and you keep that up. Hmm. But, you know, for... Well, you know, now how, how is this so... Uh, so is what we're discovering here that you can do small incremental, incremental doses that over a, a slow but steady period of time, you can do slight increases and, and build the tolerance? Is that kind of what is what we've established here? Yeah, kind of. Of course, there's a huge disclaimer that I'll say like 10,000 times. Do not try this at oh, home yeah. well, under any circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to say, mm-hmm. I didn't really know that was in dispute. So my own personal experience with the paleo diet is I cut out beer, and then mm-hmm. I, I have to very slowly reintroduce it. I can't just, or else I'll get very sick. Yeah, yeah. And, and same with um, same with dairy. Is I have to very mm-hmm. carefully, if you you know, you can't just go hog. But now, if I do like, if I do a little bit here and a little bit there, and I kind of increase it over a period of two weeks, three weeks mm-hmm. even, then I'm able to then just sit down and and you know consume it regularly without any real well, side effects. Yeah, but there's a, a slight difference in the fact that you know with egg, peanut, milk, those are horrible ones. Yeah, yeah, they're they're horrible. It's not just that; it's an immune reaction. You know, even with um you know, lactose intolerance, like I have, it's, you know, the inability to break down those sugars. So it's something, you know, in the body that's not able to do something. But for eggs and peanuts and milk, it is literally an immune system reaction. Ah, And that's the key, right? Is it like, you know, if a, you know, uh, you know, people who get a wasp, you know, sting them and they have to have, you know, a shot right there ready before they're, you know, go into very badness and have to visit the hospital. So what this is, is, you know, for these people that, you know, they want to go through and be able to test and see what, you know, there'd be a, obviously a certain percentage of that population that might be able to do this treatment. Okay. So you could have it so that, because, um, you know, peanut allergies are on, you know, on a rise. Big time, you know, yeah. some, some schools have to have, you know, strict policies of no peanut butter whatsoever in the school, or they have to have, you know, separate areas. Um, I think everybody knows, like, somebody in the family now that has a peanut allergy where it seemed like, you know, that wasn't the case, well, you know, when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, I don't have it in my family, but some oh, of really? the um, 
some of the soap at my work, you know, it, uh, you know, there's a machine shop there, so it has to be a little gritty. And in one of those, there's peanut shells. Hmm. So I always, you know, tell the, remind the HR department, you know, to, you know, obviously we cannot, you know, you're not going to discriminate against anything, but it's something to kind of pass by someone, you know, like there's a dog in the office. We have, you know, peanuts in this soap, just so you're aware. Right. You know, in case you need to do what you need to do. Yeah. Or say, yeah, I, I really don't want to uh, visit the hospital every time I go to work. So <laughs> I, I think I will stay far away from the peanuts. Why are my hands swelling? Oh, yeah, Why exactly. cannot I breathe? Right. So with anything, I mean, if you could gradually increase, I mean, it takes two years mm, to do wow. this to sort of retrain the immune system and it won't work for everybody either. But if you can do that so that someone with these kind of allergies can be accidentally exposed, you know, they're for, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of egg or peanut in something or it's, you know, been in the kitchen right. with peanuts. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's a whole bunch of dangers for that. Maybe then you can relax the paranoia just yeah. slightly. Yeah, that would be very nice because we have people in our family who are allergic to that. And, you know, and our our son Dylan mm-hmm. uh, has been has developed all kinds of different allergies that n- yeah. we don't really suffer from, like grass allergies and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe, you know, maybe my wife does slightly. But it's been interesting to see him, you know, go from like having no cat allergy at all you know, mm-hmm. playing with cats as a young kid, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then just over a period of a few weeks, now all of a sudden he gets horribly allergic and now he's got like all this, you know, allergy stuff he has to take if he's around a cat. Yeah, and it'll change as he gets older too. You know, I had um, one of my best friend's little sister had a severe allergy to penicillin uh, growing up and that was always fun. And she got retested when she went to go to college and it was fine again. Hmm. You know, so these these things change yeah. over, over time, sometimes for random, who knows why reasons. But, you know, if you could, you know, tone down some of these more serious allergies. Mm-hmm. For ac- so, like you said, for the accidents. Yeah, for, you know, for these accidents or when you're near something, then it, it's so much better. You don't have to be so afraid that there's going to be such a major reaction. But it requires them to stay pretty loyal to a, to a treatment regimen, right? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, as I said, I'm lactose intolerant. If I want, you know, some dairy, and I was born with it, so I'm fairly severely sometimes. So if I, you know, growing up, if I wanted something in that area, I had to take a pill. Yeah, okay. So it's, you know, it's that. You know, if you have severe allergies, my my mom has, like, allergic to everything under the sun except pine, (laughs) which she is lucky because there's pine trees everywhere. I think think she'd die. But, you know, she has to have shots. So she she takes her shots. Mm -hmm. You know, and she's able to breathe and mm-hmm. things like that. And it's much nicer. Yeah. So, I mean, any of these serious allergies, you're you're having to be very aware about what's around you. So, I don't think that some sort of regimen. Oh, yeah, of, yeah. You know, take this pill is going to be it'd anything be totally, major. I mean, it'd be totally worth it for people who really suffer from, like, the peanut allergies and stuff, too. Yeah. You know, especially for, you know, for kids who might not be super aware of, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they're not old enough or, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're goofing around at a party and they're like, oh, oh yeah, munch. Oh, wait, no. That's gotta I be snacked a con- off the wrong oh, snack. Geez. Oh, geez. Now, now you're making me panic about my future challenges I'm going to have as a parent. Oh, my goodness, Heather. I mean, no, that must it, be a okay. m- nightmare. It's okay. <gasps> I, was, I was at birthday parties and parents were trying to feed me ice cream. And I was like, no, thank you. I felt like they were drug dealers. Yeah, they're like we <laughs> promise we won't tell your mom that's we won't funny, tell your mom you can have ice cream I, like, since, mom shows up I had to like seriously like, fight off cake today it was ridiculous I had to go like into battle mode to get away from this cake Yeah, <laughs> people like, want to no. really push cake <laughs> they do sometimes they want to push it and you're like 
You're a drug dealer. Please go away. Um, well, any other thoughts on that story? No, it's just a little bit of hope for people with, you know, these more severe food allergies. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes. All right, Heather Worlds, armed and loaded. Let's launch into the two bite news. <laughs> two bite news. Dun, 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 two bite news. Everyone weaves their arm at the two bite news. <laughs> <laughs> the two bite news. <laughs> All right, so what is the uh, first story in the two bite news? Okay, if you've ever thought you smelled an incoming storm, you're yes. correct. I knew it. I know it wasn't crazy. Nope, none of us are crazy. So. You know, some people have heard of this before, you know, that it's the ozone. You know, there's some ozone in the air. It gives a, a sweet, pungent, you know, zing. I've always thought it was know, rain hitting the cement. There is that now, too. But there is, is there's, um, you know, petrichor, they're actually calling it. So, you know, the first thing you smell is this ozone. And then you can smell, you know, when the rain hits the ground and it hits, you know, decomposing plant or animal mm. matter and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and then it attaches to those and it throws this up in the air. Yeah. And then you're able to smell that. So it's um Maybe this is know. how animals get a get a get a heads up on what's coming down. Because they got a yeah, better sense of smell. Yeah, um uh, microbiologist suggests that maybe that um Jasmine fra- fragrance is actually like a beacon. Maybe helps camels find their way to desert oases. Hmm. You know, so it was one of these there's multiple smells going on there. Now in the city, you know, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Because some of those smells won't come out, but you know, in the suburbs or anything like that. There's definitely you know, a smell when you're out. Yeah, when you're out, and I've yeah. I've grew up I grew up in the suburbs, and there's definitely a smell. It's yeah, a storm coming up. gives you a chance to yep. talk like a, some old Western guy. Yeah, I used to drive my mom crazy. I'm like, eh, eh? the rain's gonna start in 30 minutes. <laughs> and like, I would freak my mom out because I was like, at one point, I was really good at that. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm gonna start raining at 15, and it's gonna get really hard at 30. We gotta move. Wow, did you know Did you know there's an app now that does exactly that? It's called Dark Sky, and it tells you exactly how long it's going to rain, how heavy it'll be, and when it's going to stop, and then it'll tell you when it's going to start again. It's pretty crazy. It's great. Oh. It's like if you have a 20-minute window and you need to run somewhere, you need to know when the wind... The wind this, this this is an issue in Seattle. This is a, this is oh, a problem. Yeah. You need to know when you're going to be able to run to go get something you don't want to get poured on. It's very cool. So you would have been very yeah. handy up here as a kid because <laughs> that would have been a very in-demand skill. It would have been handy here in uh, Denver. This time of year, they call it the monsoon season. Oh, okay, yeah. It's like every evening, like clockwork, so many times that it's like storm and gone. Storm and gone. <laughs> and sometimes it's like pouring down rain and the you know the roadways start flooding. And then like, you know, an hour later, you're like, hi, rain. <laughs> Bye. Now, uh, you did promise uh, talking about brassiers, didn't you? Yes. Like bras. Yes. Like... Everyone kind of laughs and goes, you must not be talking about that. And yes, I am. So, you know, we thought that there is, you know, it went from the corset to to this. Maybe it's a little over 100 years old. Mm, okay. But now archaeologists have found four linen bras dating back to the Middle Ages in an Australian castle. They were unearthed in 2008. And it was like in a whole, you know, in a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, over 2,000 textile fragments. Really? Yeah, and like not just vaguely looking like, but that's like, totally a bra. Yeah, like a modern bra. Some of them actually had, were decorated with like lace and ornamentation. Whoa, is this a? Uh, not ladies now. Okay, I couldn't tell what that uh, was. I, I was like, I, I don't going there. No, it's uh, it's uh, men. There weren't really uh, ladies um, 
Those six hundred year old ladies are getting down with that. <laughs> no, no, that's for the boys. Okay, um, well, those boys were getting down. I mean, that's never much. Uh, so, uh, so didn't so didn't they credit? So I guess the man now that we've been credited as the inventor of the bra might nope. be a scam. No, well, it, it might have just you know gone from bra to corset and then back again. So okay, so he kind of reinvented. Yeah, so kind of reinvented is one of those things like. Um, often comes up is a new invention comes up and multiple people invent it practically at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like and so, like the TV so and the phone. Did you? I mean, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it's there's a certain amount of technology there. So you know it it you know went in waves. You know, so nobody really remembered that it started off that way, and then it went to you know the corset, and then it came back. But it's interesting. They it, they actually found it in 2008, but they were really so taken aback and they're like all right we're going to double check this so they like carbon dated everything to to make sure that everything was on the uh, on the up and up before they came out and said anything about this huh well uh so what does this now mean anything we uh, anything we just just an interesting gives us just interesting insight on the past i guess yeah just interesting you know like you said it's interesting how it's going and how things kind of go back and forth and just sort of a new you know, this is what, you know, we, we thought that this ha- was how it works. We thought that this came in the last hundred years. Right. It was very straightforward. And now I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> maybe not. Love no. that. I love that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, there you go. And uh, pictures of what that looks like. And yeah, there's no doubt about it in the show notes. No. So go to the show no, notes. There's no. a picture there. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's just no question. Uh, all right. Well, this sounds really cool. Okay. A sound-based fire extinguisher. Yes, it's only just proof of concept stages. So, you know, it's very early. They had two big speakers. There's a video in the show notes um, or in the enhanced uh, audio version, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. Two, good chance. There's a good chance. Uh, two really loud speakers that blasted out sound at a specific frequency. And that was able to disrupt the flame. It sort of spread the heat over a larger There's the tone area. right there. That's the tone that kills fire. You like that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, can it be scaled up? We don't know. You know, who really knows? But there are very specific applications. Um, if this actually works, imagine um, uh, somebody um, suggested to me, what about a server room? Mm, gosh, yeah, that'd be a great use for this. Or, you know, something that you don't particularly want. Don't want water. Water spraying everywhere or any chemicals if you can help it. Because, you know, there are very various chemical ones. But maybe you'd like it so that, you know, you turn on the, you know, giant speakers and zoom. Yeah. And it helps do that. Now, this is on a very small scale. Will it actually work when it's, you know, brought up to case? Um, could it even work in, you know, military vehicles or anything like this? We're not quite sure, but. Another DARPA project. These guys get to work on the yes. coolest stuff ever. Oh, my gosh. Their DARPA stuff is really crazy out there. Yeah. I've, you know, I, we've, you know, I've done a lot of, you know, small business contract work, you know, with NASA, one with Department of, De- uh, you know, Department of Defense, try to go for some energy, Department of Energy ones. And then DARPA stuff is just like, what is the craziest thing you can think of? Yeah. And do you think you could do it? And are we interested? Go. <laughs> can, can it be done? Yes. <laughs> Not can it be done. <laughs> do you have anything that sounds interesting enough for you to try it? Oh, okay. Just try it. Just try it. You know, try to see if you can make it work. Gotcha. That's cool. Try is, it. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. I, 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 can I get one of those jobs? I want one of those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck trying to get one of those uh, uh, contracts. You just have to get the right little 
it, it's crazy, but those things are crazy fun. Yeah, I bet. Oh, well, uh, so go check out this uh, video in the show notes if you want to rock out to that tone. Yes. Yeah, it's got it right there. All right, now a couple of updates to get to. Yes. Okay. I don't think I have a All jingle right. for updates. Do you want me to just, I could I could do a jingle. Here we go. You ready? Okay. Wait. That's, That's not an no, update no. sound. Uh, okay. All right. How about this one? Okay. It's better. We'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay. We'll go with that. All right. We've talked about it uh, quite a bit, but Alzheimer's treatments. Mm-hmm. Now, both of us have um, family. You know, family members who have had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. We've talked about um, the, um, you know, the thing that goes into the brain that, you know, that attaches brain sort of clogs up the receptors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now there's a pharmaceutical company that says they found a drug that if in larger clinical trials might actually be able to stabilize patients and completely stop the disease. Whoa. So really? it's, yeah, it's a whole bunch of soup of antibodies, you know, from blood donors this drug is actually already approved for certain immune disorders. Okay, okay. So it's so already it, been, that means it's already been human tested. It's already been human tested, so it's approved. Now, because it's already in in demand and it's based on a donor system, you know, oh. widespread use of this is kind of, is oh, kind of iffy. Okay, okay. But what's promising is they only tested it on four patients so far. But they gave them this uh, intravenous you know, medication, and they plateaued for, you know, for uh, three years. Mm. So they were able to, you know, no decline in cognition, every, uh, you know, the ability to perform everyday tasks. Wow. Completely normal. Now, they're kind of holding off because, you know, Alzheimer's does plateau. You know, okay. you'll you'll get a, you know, you'll have a decline and then it'll plateau for a little while. Then you'll have a sudden decline. And, mm. okay. you know, that's kind of how it works. But yeah. they're, you know, a three-year decline you know, plateau kind of seems positive. You know that, yeah, it seems very positive now. Until they do, you know, larger studies. You know, you know, double blind. You know, so the doctor doesn't know, the patient doesn't know, nobody knows. You know, except some bean counter hidden away behind a one-way mirror knows who's getting what to be able to sort of figure this out. Now it'll also prove. Now what this doing is it's it's uh, attacking the amyloid beta peptide. This is what I was trying to remember earlier. Okay. What we've, you know, it's, it's, that's the thing that's clogging up the brain. We've been able to see it, um, you know, on MRIs, be able to check and be like, hey, there it is. Right. So this is testing. What this is also do is help prove. You, they they called it like concept. not the fingerprint, but it was like the, uh, the marker for Alzheimer's, right? Is that what they called it? Isn't that, am I yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's another marker. And this is another sort of, um, you know, it's another study that sort of proves if correct that that would be, uh, a marker that would be um, okay. sort of the okay. the target of what's going on. Huh. So, you know, like I said, there's it's based on a donor program, so it's not like it can be, you know, everybody can get it today. But should it work, then there could probably be a lot of um, drug trials, drug um, trials to see what could be used to to mimic that ability. You know, so you have those yeah, antibodies and yeah. how can you mimic it? How are ways that you can increase this in order to be used on a larger scale? Because, you know, insurance companies don't don't cover it for Alzheimer's right now. There have been a couple people who've been able to afford the, the blanket cost, you know, and treat themselves with this. But, you know, because it's used specifically for, you know, 
a couple of immune disorders, that's what it's approved for mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is very promising when these type of things come out and they're like, oh, wow, this also works for this disease. You know, because it's a, it's a drug that's already had all the way approval. You know, it's something that's all, it's gone all the way there. And so now we found out that this might be able to be used to, to help, you know, stabilize those amyloid beta peptides. And should they be able to find a drug that could synthesize that, you know, to, to mirror what that's going on, then, you know, the ability to, to stabilize that kind of a disease is, is amazingly, has a lot of potential that I, uh, I want to be really excited when any of this stuff comes out. I so want to be excited. I, I do too. And I actually think, you know, there's some more merit to it when it's when it's working with stuff that's already in use. Um, yeah. Because that stuff, it's, it means there's already a production pipeline for it. It's already been tested. It's it's patented, which means that they've already invested a ton of money into it. And they're going to keep investing money into it. Uh, yeah. And it already has distribution. Yeah. So that... Yeah. You, you know, know the that, only reason why this couldn't go you know, wide scale immediately is because it is bla- based off blood donors. So okay. yeah. And that's, you know, there's, right. I know. I know. so there is some limited, su- you we'll know, see. supply. There's a lot of demand, but there wouldn't be the supply to meet up with that. Science just but, needs to figure that part out. Yeah. Once we, once we figure that out and how we, you know, and we can move forward with that to put it on the large scale, then, well, not only would we be incredibly excited to Alzheimer's. I mean, there's a lot of people with uh, immune disorders who would be, you know, a lot better off without having to mm-hmm. be dependent upon specific blood donors. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my goodness, this kind of stuff makes me excited. <laughs> Very much, and so. and hopeful that it we're, we're it seems like we're getting one step closer each time. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting just to follow the progress uh, since we've been doing the show. There's been some very yeah. good, there's very significant progress. And and uh, I guess that kind of makes sense that as you begin to learn more, it's sort of, you know, you build steam. It's a snowball effect. Oh, definitely. You know, they were able to, I remember you know, when we first talked about it, like, oh, wow, this, this marker, you know, it's, you know, um, you know, since the smell goes first, hey, that's something to test off of. They're like, oh, wait, huh, this marker gathers on the, the smell receptors. Huh, I wonder what that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's right. That's clearing right. this clearing this out will, you know, will improve the brain function and all these kind of things building up. You know, and it, it feels like I'm not sure whether just like watching all the science news as closely as I am because of Cybite. You know, I was like, am I just now seeing all the, the buildup about this or just it? Is it just recently? It seems like it's I, I it's a recent thing. Hard to, I guess that's that's a good point. It could be a little bit a little bit of you know confirmation bias in some sense, but it does feel like it's no. I, I, I've never really heard very many big breakthroughs about it, or really yeah. any major progress on it until just recently. And I swear that's been yeah. you know because I followed yeah. it because of my family. I followed it a little closer than I, I think I would have normally. So I don't remember yeah. anything major jumping out at me except for the things we've really talked about. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, it's an interesting another step, and I'm hoping that they can find a way to put this in a mass production. They can figure out that once they figure out that step, and when the phase three trials go through and that proves out, then looking forward to that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, any other thoughts on that one? No. Now this week uh, we lost a uh, one of our very own. Sp- space pioneers and honestly uh she was uh too young at the age of 61 sally ride uh passed away from her uh, battle with cancer and yeah. uh i'm sure you must have a few thoughts on this yeah um well first off 
taking a couple steps back, you know, everyone says, you know, she's the first woman in space. Well, technically, first American woman. Right, right. There were two Russian cosmonauts, the first one back in uh, 63, um, actually, who were able to go up first. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sally Ride, oddly enough, she didn't start off saying, I want to be an astronaut. She, she was in the, you know, she saw an ad at the Stanford student newspaper that said, hey, NASA's looking for astronauts and, you know, scientists and engineers. And at that point, they had only really done military personnel and, of mm. course, uh, of course, men. This was the first class after Apollo. Because they, you know, put us out and then they accept a certain, you know, they call it an astronaut class. So they put this class together and included six women you know, out of the 8,000 applications, they accept 35 people, um, six women. Actually, this this group had a lot of firsts. You know, it was first first woman, first African-American, um, astronaut to go in space, and various things like that. But Sally Wright herself, just as a figure more than anything else for for America, you know, growing up, I sort of, you know, I remember very actively involved with, you know, knowing names and dates and things for um, during the Challenger accident. Mm -hmm. And so she'd been up on, actually she flew twice on Challenger before that happened. Her only two flights were on the Challenger space shuttle. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that had already been since set. So, you know, growing up, it was like women in space, cool. You know, that's a stamp. Right. (laughs) Approval, big check mark stamp. Yeah, and it can happen. Yeah, and, you know, she was a, a physicist. You know, mm-hmm. she had a physics degree. I, I had my, you know, I, I had just got a physics degree. It was also very important, wasn't it? That she wasn't military. She was a scientist. Yeah. She was, you know, she was civilian. Actually, even to date, she is still and will always be the youngest astronaut to fly on the space shuttle. Yeah. She was 32 years old and she was the youngest. There you go. But, you know, more than any, obviously sad, you know, effect on me, but... More than that, I mean, even post-NASA, she did a lot of educational stuff, which I have a lot of respect for. I mean, it's, she did, um, she was on the investigation panel for, you know, the Challenger Columbia space accidents. Right. Uh, The only person to be on both. But she went to teach at the University of California after she left NASA. And then she founded her own company, the Sally Ride Science, in 2001. And that started, its whole goal was to get kids like middle school type age kids involved with science you know she did uh moon camp we talked about it for the uh earlier this year with the you know lunar um orbiters that were looking at the gravity of the moon uh, ebb and flow mm-hmm. and they had the moon cam that little pic- imager on there that kids in schools could could apply to get a picture taken of some part of the moon and she uh before that in uh, 95, she actually had uh, what was called uh, Earth Camp, KidSat at the time. So it was on um, space shuttles, and then it moved on to the space station where you kids could go on and say, I want a picture of this part of the Earth. So it, it, it was sort of bridging the gap, and almost like scientists um, request time on the Hubble. Like, oh, I want to look at this object. Oh, yeah. It allowed, you know, that, that's how I equate it. Right. You know, it's like kids were able to, you know, go to a, fill out a form, talk about, you know, what they wanted to do, where they wanted to look, and then, you know, submit it so that a picture of, you know, the Earth or the moon could be taken and they could get their, their data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she wrote half a dozen books or so, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. links to a whole bunch of those in the show notes. 
you know, so as a, as a figure, more than anything, she, I mean, she flew on the shuttle twice. It was there. It was saying, hey, she can do it. There were six women. Any, any one of them might have been the first. But it was just doing that and the educational thing that she took. I did a lot of the educational outreach when I was younger, you know, and that really meant a lot to me. I was like, hey, I, I can see that and those type of programs did a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to be said for being that figure, and and yeah, you know, and then really, <laughs> she lived up to it. She she never really, you know, she never really, uh, she never really disappointed anyone. She's just a just a mm-hmm. seemed like a really great person all around. Oh yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I uh, you know I did a lot of astronomy growing up, so I have a, a telescope and you know meet people and you know get just you know you get their signature. Except I lose everything in two seconds flat. <laughs> um, you know, so I had, you know, signatures on a pad of paper that are goodness knows where in the universe. But one thing I never lost and had with me almost all the time was my telescope. So I would get people to sign my telescope. Oh, good idea. Oh, cool. So, you know, I moved up here um, to Colorado and my telescope is still in my parents' house, safe and tucked in until I have a safe place to have it up here. And I'm willing to have it transported in some way to, mm-hmm. you know, part way across the country. And uh, she was doing a radio interview in um, a town over. So my mom heard it. They kind of stalked her oh. into the radio station. It's like waiting in the lobby. She's like, hi, can you sign this? Mm-hmm. It's for my daughter. She's a big fan. She's like, yeah, pretty much. That's awesome. You know, I, I remember. Way to go mom. Yeah, I remember looking at the news that day. And I was pulling it up and I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh. And my husband was like, what's wrong? I was like, this Heli Ride died. Yeah. He's like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, two hours later, my mom called. She's like, hi, sweetie. I'm like, I know. Yeah, I heard the news. I was like, it was funny. That's all I said. I know. She's like, oh, you saw? I was like, yeah. It was like immediately we knew what was going on. She was ready to brace. She was ready to brace. She had braced herself to give you bad news. <laughs> yeah. She was like, oh, you already saw. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I get here off the phone to my, you know, talking to my dad. He's like, yeah, she saw it. Yeah. She saw <laughs> They were both like, we have to call Heather. But, you know, as a. You have nice a, parents. <laughs> as a, well, I'm, I was only slightly obsessed with space since I could talk, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I was like. Huh, I never would have guessed. Yeah, no, it was really a surprise. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that she was there and she was able to say, you know, that I never thought that it wasn't possible that. You know, I could do it if I wanted to be an astronaut. You know, if I could do that, I could do that. If I wanted to, you know, go into physics and do whatever I wanted. And the fact that she was, you know, she continued to work, you know, trying to educate kids, trying to push kids in the math and the science mm-hmm. to to instill in them that, you know, it's possible help help get exciting curricula and materials to to schools. Engage. Yeah, because so often it, it's it's hard for some teachers to you know, talk about some of these sciences. You know, they may not know a lot about. I had a couple of teachers who knew I was so obsessed that you know somebody would ask a question, they're like, I don't know, Heather, <laughs> what 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 was the answer? <laughs> they're like, oh, blah blah blah. We're like, all right, good. That was the answer. Early Wikipedia. So, yeah, it was it was a little like that. So it's. You know, a lot of teachers cannot be up to date on so many of these different sciences. So being able to to offer that kind of excitement and sort of in, very engaging, as you said, um, education does a lot. Mm-hmm. And that she was able to push those type of programs like uh, 
you know, Earth Cam and Moon Cam. Mm -hmm. It was really exciting that she was able to do that. And it made a big difference for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not just me. There are a lot of people mm -hmm. who it made such a huge difference in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. And you know what? Uh, and she'll still, all, all of her legacy still lives on. Oh, yeah. There's the, all the, you know, the programs are still there. Mm hmm. And they're, they're still well, running. Well, everything she accomplished has still been accomplished, and it's still something people can look to. Oh, yeah. I mean, she said it. It's there. You know, the, the footprint is in history. Exactly. You, everyone just kind of builds on that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Heather. Well, you know, I have a uh, flashing light here on the proximity sci-bite sensor, but do you yeah. have any other closing thoughts before I hit the flashing button? No, just uh, remembering our, uh, all the accomplishments she did. Absolutely. All right, well, then I'm going to smack it. Here we go. Okay. Oh, look at that. Oh, my goodness. What did you do? It's a spacecraft update. It is. Is this a good so, one? Is this good? Yes, the shuttle Enterprise. If you're in New York, mm. I'm jealous because it's open house. Oh, cool. You can actually go in and see it now. Um, you know, half a dozen. Yep, you can go in there? Oh, it's so yes. neat. They've got their, their big um, blow-up dome. So it's, you know, big silver, kind of dark. They have, you know, all the sorts of screens and interactions. So well, it's very moody. Can, it looks very cool. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be sort of that, that effort of, you know, space mm -hmm. and that kind of feel to it. It does because it, it's very dark and then they have a very mood lighting along the bottom. Uh, yeah. And displays and various information and. Yep, you can. We have a built so you can, you know, go nose to nose with it, as they say, and peek into the crew cabin windows. So you don't get to go inside the space shuttle itself. Uh, no. Oh man. I'm pretty sure none of these are going to be able to. Why? Pre I wanna. <laughs> they had to do a lot of work to get them, um, sort of de-spaced de because there's a there's so much equipment <laughs> and and gases and chemicals that are in these that had to be stripped out and cleaned. In order for them to be, you know, safe enough to be on display. So I bet really special people get to go inside. Maybe. Yeah. Bet maybe. if Mark Zuckerberg went, Mark Zuckerberg probably gets to go in there. And and Stupid. Just, Mark. Justin Look. Justin Bieber probably gets to go in there. I hope not. <laughs> so very I'm cool. Sorry. So if they're in New York, uh yeah, they should so go see that. New York totally go see it at the um Intrepid Air and Space Museum. Um you know, as I said before, this is not its final, final home. This is kind of as they raise the funds to make a more permanent home, um, a building just across the the street from, from the flight deck. So it's very nearby, but not mm. on the ship itself. But for right now, they've got the, they've got that up, and everyone can go see it now. Now, uh, something that's happening in just uh, a few days. I'm sure Heather, you you probably aren't tracking this at all. But no. just, just in case you didn't know, the Curiosity yeah. rover is set to land in 12 days. That's August yeah. 5th. Yep, Cybite 57 in two weeks. It will be just two days after the landing. Um, I might have a few things to say. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be a great episode. It. Just maybe. <laughs> um, there's just a fact that if you follow me on Twitter, that I have wrapped up like 10 days worth of tweets as I lead up to it. I haven't quite finished all of them. Wow. It's like 10 days to, you know, till it lands. And then like you're a little like, fact. You're pre-tweeting? You're like pre-composing your tweets? Yes. Wow, that's interesting. That's, that's a well, good for, for certain like historical things and something like this, I do. I kind of prep it so I can get all the wording right and I can I can be happy. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm pre-prepping these tweets. Like 
counting at T minus 10 days. We're like 10 days and there's 10 times the science equipment and, you know, things like that. So it, like, it has the number 10 and nine days it'll have the number nine. Um, That's so awesome. So I may be slightly excited about this. Twitter.com slash JB underscore Mars underscore base to get that action to get those to get those you got to go follow heather on twitter ah, i'll put a yes. link to that in the chat room too for the people who are watching live they can go do that s right now they should you can these, these tweets have been pre-compiled for your enjoyment yes because i'm just slightly excited about this mm-hmm. one thing recently that had me really worried was one of the Mar- uh, uh, mars orbiters the odyssey Actually, you know, they were able, they were going to hook it up so they were able to get uh, direct data from the rover. Okay. You know, as so pretty much real time as it went down and, you know, possibly even, you know, maybe get, take a snapshot of it. You know, they're trying to get all the satellites, you know, just lined up so that they can all get as much data as they can about the descent and the landing. And the major orbiter went in standby mode earlier this month. They were oh. they were tweaking its orbit so it'll be all ready and then suddenly it went silent. No. Yeah, but it came back to life. Oh, really? They, they, there was like a planned another uh, orbital adjustment and the next orbital adjustment came and then it it called home again and I was so excited. Was just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, it, it took a nap. Wow. But luckily, it just took a nap. Are they worried that it might take another nap? Uh, no, they don't. They don't have any other changes to make. Oh, um, oh, so, okay. It was. A, it, was so, it happened after. Ah. Gotcha. You know, they they were making an orbital change and then it happened and then the second orbital change that was in uh, queued up happened and then it came back to life. Of course, everyone's always nervous that that kind of thing could happen, but, you know, who knows what will happen again. Did they again. go over to the guy that programmed the last orbital change and be like, what were you doing, you idiot? I'm pretty sure everyone was like turning blue. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I can't wait to talk about that. So that'll be yeah, uh, just a couple of weeks. It wouldn't have affected anything, but it would have just slowed down the data rate. And, uh, right. And you want your feed. Yes. You want I want it as quickly as possible. I want to know exactly what's going on. All right, Heather. We'll step in the time machine because it's time yeah. we go back. Whoop. Oh, no, close the door. Close the door. Oh, Jeez. Oh, oh. 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 got to remember not to wear fur when we go in this thing. <laughs> I tell you, it's the static. All right, well, this uh, first destination is 85 years ago, July 29th, 1927. What happened? Uh, I'm trying to breathe after your... Uh, <laughs> after my fur <laughs> comment? Your, yes. I, what can but, I say? I love the fashion, Heather. I love the fashion. All right, I need a separate time machine. Um, <laughs> so, 85 years ago, not... Quite as funny as we were talking about, but the iron lung, the oh. first one, was installed at Bellevue Hospital. Wow. So, you know, post-war polio epidemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, it affected the the muscles and for some people it affected the, the diaphragm so that they could not breathe in and out. So what this was, was, you know, they stuck them in this giant, what they called iron lung, you know, a little head stuck out and it was a... A chamber. A bladder. It was a chamber, Yeah, a right? chamber with a little bladder and they would increase and decrease the pressure in there to sort of force the chest cavity to uh, expand and contract, to sort of, you know, aid breathing. Wow. So, you know, it would, you know... It was pushing and, con- and, 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 then, and then rescinding on the chest? That's yeah. how it was doing it? Yeah, so it's like... Um, it's hard on the ribs. You know, you, not that excessive. I mean, think of a, a balloon. You, you know, you blow up a balloon in Oklahoma, and then you go up to the top of the mountain in Colorado, and it gets really big. Oh, you know, the I you know, because see. Because you've reduced the pressure on the outside, ah, so it gets gotcha. bigger. Gotcha. And so now you go down to the Gulf of Mexico, and you're like 
one foot elevation and the, the balloon is, you know, smaller now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's all it was doing is it was increasing and decreasing the, you know, the atmospheric pressure yeah. just that much so that it would sort of just enough to um, pull the, you know, the chest cavity open and, you know, help out it, just it, yeah. a little bit to, you know, give it that aid in order to, to breathe. But the downside was, is uh, you were stuck in these machines and uh, at some points there was like... You go to hospital and there would be uh, a room full of these machines with with kids in them and stuff like that. I mean, it really got pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it's very rarely used today, but there was a severe epidemic, and it was, you know, once they found this out, it was you, you could keep people alive with it. Yeah, you know, it might not have been the ideal situation, but it was at that point. It was let's keep them alive. Maybe we can find something to treat this. Maybe not, but it works. Right. Wow, interesting. So, uh, and that was just uh, shy of ninety years ago, right? You said eighty-nine years ago. Eighty-five years ago. Eighty-five years ago. Wow, not so not, not that long ago, really. No. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there you go, Heather. That's uh, something to keep in mind. Now, I do believe with uh, that with that out of the way, it's time to look up into the sky. That is right. What do we got? Uh, this week is not quite a, a really exciting week. Uh, we've got um, on Wednesday. Uh, we've got in the evening the moon is um, right next to Spica and Saturn. Okay. Spica is a really bright star. Saturn, uh, Saturn is the higher of the two. So you see the moon and two bright, it looks like two bright stars. Um, Saturn will be the higher. Spica will be really twinkly. I love that star. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, on Friday evening, uh, just to the left of the moon, about a fist width away at arm's length, uh, you look at a, the ors will be an orange dot there. It's actually a star Antares, not uh, not Mars in that case. Mm. And then on Saturday, um, it'll be to the lower right of the moon. So um, pretty much the exciting part for this week is uh, is Saturn. Um, you'll see the moon kind of shuffling about the sky, but not a lot of other big uh, big events this week in the sky. Uh, the uh, so the moon on Saturday is the is the is the bright orange what? What did you so say? it'll be uh, sorry on Saturday, uh, just to the lower right of the moon. Oh, we'll okay. okay. Um, the bright orange star Antares that was. Um, <laughs> I think something was happening in the moon. It's like, oh, that sounds interesting. What are you talking <laughs> about? That sounds very interesting. No, <laughs> some of those lunar eclipses make it do that, but no. Oh, okay. um, you know, on Friday the star will be to the left of the moon, and then on Saturday it'll be to the lower right. So it's kind of moving across the sky in the evenings. Well, there you go, Heather. I think that's the whole show, yeah? I think so. All right, everyone. Well, here's the detail. You can watch SciBite Live Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv or catch it for download Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Be sure to check those show notes and get all the goodies that Heather puts in there. And Heather, thank you for a great show. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning to this week's episode of SciBite, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>